This winter, we do it all just to change your mind. Find out how to get lasting change. Leave your past, find your future. Get rewired. Hey, awesome to see you today. Thanks so much for being here. It's kind of nice. Everybody surviving winter? No, yes, plus, no. We used to be tougher, eh? Like when I was younger, I was tougher, right? Like how many of you grew up in Sudbury? Anybody grew up in Sudbury? How Remember when the winters used to be like this all the time? And we were tough, right? Now we've gotten soft and we like that one. Hey, I was doing some research this week playing around on the net because I love Google. Google's my friend. And um, I wanted to know what the best-selling nonfiction book of all time was. And so uh, there's a bit of discrepancy about it. Uh, a bit of debate, but the best one I could find was uh, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, and it sold 100 million copies. Do you realize if he made only a dollar a copy, like if after he paid everybody and he pocketed a dollar, how much he made, right? So then uh, next to him was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at C.S. Lewis, 85 million. Harry Potter, hey, Harry Potter. And the Deathly Hollows by Rowling, 65 million. And then this one, The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren of California. Listen to this 60 million copies of The Purpose Driven Life, later on renamed What on Earth Am I Here For? And it's a Christian view of the purpose of life and it sold 60 million copies. So I asked myself the question, why? And I think the answer to that is we have a crisis of purpose. We have a crisis of destiny. You know, there's things we do in life and they give us some meaning, but what's the real destiny? What's the real purpose behind the functions that I do every day or the job that I do every day? What's really behind all of that? And that's part of the question I want to answer today in, uh, in our series called Rewired. And this one is finding a new destiny. Now, you know, we've, we've looked at, if you're going to go on the Christian journey, the first thing that changes when you become a follower of a Christ is that you have a new hereditary, okay? So your heredity changes. Instead of going, moving towards death, you change and you begin to move towards life. So the actions and attitudes of life now begin to take you towards life versus death. The next thing we discovered is you have, you have a new identity, so now I don't get my identity from the created order around me, what I do or who people say I am. I get my identity from who God says I am. And when I put those together, that gives me a new destiny. And today, God invites us to come on this journey of destiny with him. So let me explain that to you. And we'll go back to something you know, most of you know very well, which is the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, right? So the opening lines are this. How am I supposed to pray, Lord? And he says this. This is then how you should pray. And then he goes on and he says this. Our Father in heaven, right? Hallowed be your name. You got it? Right? Do you remember what the next line is? Duh! I'm not sure. Okay, read it. 
Your kingdom come. Your oh my God, I don't know what to do with that. What am I? Should I go home now? What? It's the third line of the Lord's prayer. And I know I caught you off guard. Okay, right? Look it. Your kingdom come. Right? Your will be done. Right? Now, you remember the next line? I'll give you a hint. Right? What's the next line? Give me a hint. Right? On earth, y'all passed. Okay, fill in the blanks. On earth. Yeah. So your kingdom come where? Right? Your will be done. Right. Where? Right? So the next question is, how? How is that going to happen? God going to come down and wave a magic wand and go, here comes my kingdom. Here comes my will. No, the most incredible thing about this is that God says, when you pray, pray that your kingdom would come, that your will will come. And the answer through that is, is through human beings. The way God's will is enacted in the world is through you and through me. I mean, God doesn't have any hands. God doesn't, you know, sweep out of the clouds some way in some mystical way with some hand and set you on a seat and say, I need to tell you something about your life. God uses people. And here's the crazy thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out for those of you that really want to think about this and want to argue with me later, okay? But I have a feeling there's some things God can't do. And one of those things God can't do is love people without you. God has no way of doing that. He did it once. He showed us the model. He showed us how it's done. And then he said, over to you. And here's the destiny. God invites us to join him in this kingdom project that he's got going. And he invites us to join him in this kingdom project that we would be his love in this universe. And that's his invitation to us. So when Christ died on the cross, he took all the pain, the frustration, the heartache, the victimization of the universe, and he said, listen, bring it on to me. I will take it. I will bear it. I will carry it. And I will demonstrate to the world that the way in which change comes is not from war and not from fighting and not from laws, but from loving. Right? Let's just look at it, right? Here it is, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. The rule of love. Are you ready? This is a Valentine's thing. Read it with me, come on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. Others, okay. Next one. It's not, okay, let's just stop right there. Let's just stop right there, okay? Turn to somebody and say, love is not self-seeking. You know what that means? Love never thinks about itself first. Love never thinks about itself first. I don't know about you, but I think about myself first a lot. I want to be first at the buffet. I want to be first in the parking spot. I want to be first in my spot in my yoga class. 
I do a lot of things where I think of myself first. Love does not think of itself first. Then he goes on and he says this. Let's read them. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now look at this one. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then here's the next one. Ready? Love never fails. Okay, so what does that mean? Love never fails. What it means is this, is that love never fails to accomplish the purpose that it was set out to accomplish. When you and I love, love will always accomplish the purpose that is behind it. Love does not fail because love is the thing that changes the universe. Look what he says in the rest of the verses. Here it goes. And now these three remain. Let's read them out. Faith, hope, and love. Now, do some of you know what the next line is going to say? Ah, some of you know. Here, let's give them a hint. But the greatest of these is love. So listen, the destiny that you and I walk into when we decide to be a follower of Christ is a destiny of love. And we change the world by the rule of love, not by the rule of law. Listen, laws can make people behave, but they never change their heart. You know, when I see a police car go by me on Highway 6 up to Manitoulin Island, and I slow down to a reasonable amount, right? But my heart's not changed, because I think it's a stupid speed limit on Highway 6 at 80K, because I can easily do 100. My heart's not changed. My heart's not changed because of a law. My heart is never changed because of a rule. My heart doesn't get changed because of a regulation. My heart gets changed because I engage in relationship, and in that relationship, there is love that comes from that. So Jesus invites us to join him in this destiny of being agents of his love of being human beings who walk through the world and what we communicate to people is love. Okay, let me give you the basis of that. It's a scripture that's well known. John chapter three, verse 16 and 17. And John would write these words. For God so what? Loved the world that he did what? He gave. Okay, so we're just gonna stop right there. God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is how God has communicated in time and space with us that he loves us. Because he gave his son to hang on a cross. Why? Next verse. The next verse says, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you've been with me a while, you'll understand. I'm going to stop there. You'll understand that, that when we don't follow the rule of love, we create death in our life. Anything that is not loving creates death. When we love, we create life. And that's what he means by that. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, follows him, comprehends him, imbibes him, you know, lives out of him, lives through him, is not going to perish. They're not going to do the actions that lead to death, but rather they're going to do actions that lead to life. And then he explains it in one more verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Just turn to somebody and say, you are not condemned by God. 
not condemned by God. I don't know what religious system you may have come out of. I don't know where you're thinking. I don't know how you were raised. And if you were raised with an angry, condemning God, I'm here to tell you today that that is an error. That God would never send his son, Jesus Christ, to absorb the sin, the pain, the selfishness, the horror of this world that could throw at him, absorb it, and then beat it by rising from the dead on the third day to say that death, the actions of death, do not have to control us. We can be controlled by the actions of life, which are love. He wouldn't have done that if he wanted to condemn you. He would have just gone off and sat and had a martini and smoked a cigar and said, you can just all go to hell if you want. That's not the actions of God. The actions of God are love. And so so God invites you on this journey, this destiny, to understand what it means to live moment by moment, decision by decision, action by action out of love. Ask me if that is tough. Right? And everybody said what? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Ask me if that is hard to face every situation, every conflict, every uproar, every chaos, all the drama. We talked about that the other week, right? So much drama in the world. And, and, and to, to develop a level of maturity in our being that God's love could flow out of us in every circumstance. When the person cuts you off on the road, When your partner says something not nice, you can think of your own examples, right? It's tough. But that's the Christian journey. The journey is to go from where I am now, every day, every moment, that I begin now to live out of the life of love. So I'm going to define love for you, and I'm going to put it up on uh, on the screen so you can see it. Okay, here we go. Love are actions that communicate to another person that they are valuable. So I want you to think about it for a moment. Okay, here it is. Actions, love are the actions we do that lets another person know, communicates to another person that they are valuable. So who would you rather hang around with? Somebody that points out all your flaws, lets you know that you don't measure up, lets you know that there are higher standards, or would you rather be around someone who pours into your life that even though you're struggling, even though you make mistakes, even though you stumble and fall, even though all that happens to you, you are still valuable. And so I'll tell you what happened. For me this week, that statement that the actions that communicate to another person they are valuable, that statement alone really shaped my thinking this week. Because I discovered that out of my mouth come words that many times do not make people feel valuable. They're words of criticism. They're words of anger. They're words of frustration. But they're not necessarily words that would communicate value to people. So let me go back and express it this way and we'll put it on the screen for you. The rule of love is the highest order. There is nothing in the universe higher than love. 
And as we read it in the Corinthians passage, faith, hope, and love, but the what? The greatest of these is love. When you and I choose to respond out of love, when you and I choose to demonstrate actions of love, we are participating in the highest order available, the very essence of who God is, the very character and nature of God. So when we move to learning to express love, rather than frustration, disappointment, all the other things we express, as we learn the language of love, then we participate in the highest order. So when we communicate love, we participate in the highest good, right? When we communicate love, we participate in the highest good. You and I could not have a more profound destiny than to choose to build our life on love. We could not have a higher destiny than to allow the love of God to channel through us and be his hands, his arms, his feet, his mind, his thoughts. There's no greater destiny in the world than that. And yet so many of us communicate other things other than that, don't we? I mean, I know I do. If you look at society, what does society communicate to each other? How about irritation? Isn't that a good one? You irritate me. That irritates me. I can't stand that. I've got a favorite one, people who chew gum behind my ear. That irritates me. People who chew with their mouth open, that irritates me. In fact, some of you irritate, no, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And I'm only kidding on that one. How about frustration? Communicate frustration. How many of you have anger issues? I'll put my hand up. I didn't want to look out because I don't want to know. I'll look straight down at my nose. How often do we communicate this phrase? Less than. Less than. You could be better. You could do better. And I'm not talking about coaching. I'm not talking about helping people achieve, you know, by, by demonstrating some of the things maybe that, that aren't as right as could be. I'm talking about this attitude that we have in our minds. How about, uh, here's one you might have had as a kid. Maybe you get it as an adult. You don't measure up. Anybody get that one? You just don't measure up. You're not good enough. See, you and I have a need to be needed. And as we demonstrated last week, and go back and and listen to that uh, identity tape, you know, you and I need to be in charge. And we're either in charge overtly or subvertly, but we're all going to be in charge one way or the other. And we demand from others that they confirm our value and we demand from other people they establish our importance. And so I'm going to go back to last week when we said we attempt to get our value from the created order rather than the creator. We try to get our value from other people. And every time we do that, for us to feel valuable, they have to diminish. So we walk through a world in which for us to have value needs, we need to diminish other people in some way. We need to put them down, call them down, show something, have a better Facebook post, put more nice things on Instagram. We've got to do something. 
rather than just allowing our value and worth to be what comes from knowing Jesus. And once we establish that, we can go through the world and begin to communicate value. We can be Jesus' hands. We can be Jesus' arms. We can be Jesus' feet. And we can simply communicate value through our words. So how do we actually do that? Well, I think the first thing is this. You need to believe that people are valuable. If you don't believe people are valuable, you'll never accomplish this. So who are the the people you feel are of less value? So in other words, what's your prejudice? What class group type of people annoy you? Who can't you stand? Those are the questions you and I need to ask ourselves if we want to get to the root of our real core belief system. And as believers in Jesus Christ, when we go back to John 3.16, there isn't anybody that Jesus didn't die for. There isn't anybody who is not valuable. If they are not valuable, it's because you and I have made them not valuable, either by the system in which we grew up in or the religious system in which we were taught. It's why one of the things, I'll, I'll get politically in trouble, but I'm going I'm to do it now, anyways, because I don't care anymore. Um, it's one of, the, one of the really big, big issues I have with Islam. One of my really big issues I have with Islam is the devaluation of women. I have a great big issue with evangelical religion, the church. Because over the centuries of the church, somehow we found a way to devalue women. We do it in so many ways. Restricting positions of leadership, Restricting options for ministry, devalue women. So who, who do we value and who do we devalue? Because I think I can make a very solid biblical case if you want to arm wrestle me where God values everyone equally. He values them equally. So if you are going to be an agent of God's love, the very first thing you're going to have to go home and wrestle with is the the prejudices that you carry that are inside you. And, And I can't do that for you. Only you can go home and get before God and say, why does this irritate me? Why do these kind of people irritate me? Why does this group of people irritate me? Why does this class of people irritate me? Lord, Give me a love for everyone. So let me give you a scripture, okay? Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. And Paul is talking, and Paul was the writer of uh, the book of Romans, and he wrote most of the New Testament. He's kind of a big deal back in those days. So he says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I want to give you a warning. So he's kind of speaking from, right? Let's all read the next line. Are you ready, church? Don't think you are better than you really are. Stop right there. 
Don't think you are better than you really are. Now, that doesn't mean you're to walk around and say, oh, I'm useless, I'm no good. No, no. Christ says you are valuable. That's it. You're valuable. So be valuable. But don't think you're better. Now, how does Paul work this out? He gives it to us in the next verse. He explains how to do it. Here we go. Be what? Honest in your evaluation of yourself. We're going to stop right there. Be honest. Just sit down and be honest, okay? Why do you need so much attention? I ask myself that question every day. (laughs) Why do you need the attention? Why do you need to be right? Why do you need what? Fill in your own blank. Why does it have to be your way? So have an honest evaluation of yourself. And then he goes on and he gives us the last line in the verse. Measure yourselves by the faith God has given us. And he's just simply saying in that verse, measure yourself by whom God says you are. You're a valuable person and you do not need your value to be established by anyone else because God who made you, who created you, who says he knew about you before you were formed in the womb, that God says you count. That's why I said earlier, I can make a few comments. It doesn't matter to me what you think about me because I count. I matter. I matter to God. I don't need you to affirm that or confirm that in any other way. And if I have a parent who doesn't know how to do that and a child grows up with that brokenness, they can turn around and say, okay, daddy, okay, mommy, I realize maybe you couldn't give me what I wanted, but God will give it to me. My Abba, my father will give it to me. He will be the one. He says to me, I count, I matter, I like you, you're special, you're cool, you're okay. And I know you're broken and you're still okay. I know you're busted up a bit and you're still okay. Because in this strange world, sometimes things that are imperfect are very valuable. You don't have to be perfect to be valuable. You can be imperfect. So he says in Romans, okay, so this is the belief. So then then if I'm going to believe that, then that needs to get into my attitude. And my attitude needs to be that I can't think of myself better than I should be. And then I've got to translate that belief and that attitude into an action. And that action is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Okay, it's getting tougher. Are you ready? It's getting harder. Here we go. Do what? Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We'll stop right there, Jonas. Do nothing. So that means if I'm going to do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vanity, then I'm going to have to ask myself, what am I doing out of selfish ambition or vanity? Maybe you need to draw a little page. Maybe you need to ask God to help you. Maybe you need to write it down. Because he says, listen, if we're going to learn to be agents of love, the first thing that's got to go is this selfish ambition. It doesn't mean that you don't accomplish, that you don't achieve. 
that you don't add value to the world because of who you are, but it's the attitude in the human mind that he's talking about. Why do I do it? So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then he says this, rather, here we go, in humility, value others above yourselves. So who's the most valuable person in the room? Duh. Not you, person beside you. Turn to somebody, say you're the most valuable person in the room. There we go. Isn't that beautiful? You're the most valuable person. There it is. It's just not you. It's all of us. Thank you. It's all of us. Yes. Nobody's more valuable than anybody else or less valuable than anybody else. Now, he's going to drill it down for us so we really understand it, okay? And then he says this in the next line. Not looking to your own interests. Ooh. But I want it my way. I've always had it my way. I'm an only child. I get everything my way. I am an only child. Right? This is just an attitude. I mean, it translates into an action, but I mean, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Just think for a moment of how the world would change if we adopted this. Or maybe, maybe this, I'll worry about the world. How would your house change? Your family? How would your job site change if we just went this way? This is, I, I completely understand this is hard. Sean, I need to blow my nose here. There he is. I just don't want to get it on radio and you hear me blowing my nose, so if I tell them, then we're good. So, you know, God is so good to me. You know what's really cool? Because um, I, I know that illustrations are really important to get the message, and, and sometimes God just allows me to experience something. So I go to my yoga class the other night and I always go early. I go early because there's one spot I have to put my yoga mat. And if I don't get my yoga mat in that spot, some things happen to me. I'm early. And there's this other guy early. He's a little more urban than I am, a little skinnier, had a little man bun. He's a little more urban. And he's looking in the door, and the other class is not over yet, and he's looking in the door, and, and I got talking to somebody, and the door opened, people come out, and he went in the yoga room. I stick my head in the room, right there, right on my spot, like not two feet to the right, Two foot to the left. Right in my spot is this urban legend with his man bun and his yoga mat. Freak. I'm freaking out, man. I'm like, oh. Now what do I do? You know know how your mind works in nanoseconds, like little layers? 
I'm going to hyperventilate now. I'm not in the right place. You know, I, I, I got to have my spot. I've had that spot for two years. Every yoga class. And then, and then I, I, I thought, okay, no, it's okay. It'll be okay. <laughs> Breathe. You can do yoga some other place in the room. You'll be just fine. Like, maybe he's got needs too. Right? Because maybe he needs that spot. And, and, the, and the short end of the story is I made it through the yoga class okay. Uh, it was fine. It was really okay. You know? So, you know, I, I suppose I could have... I'm a little bit bigger than him, and I think he was kind of a skinny urban legend, so I probably could have muzzled him out of that spot, or I could have tapped him on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, it's been my spot for two years. I suppose I could have done all that. So I know it happens to you too, right? Does it? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Those things don't even bother you. You couldn't care less. But, but for some of you, it's, you, know, you, you stick to a corner, you come early, you stick your corner, head around the corner there either side, and you look Oh my gosh, somebody's in my seat. Ah! Church will never be the same. Oh my God, they got to get out of my seat. What am I going to do? Oh, and for a moment, you know, your heart's going. I'll never hear the message right. I'll never feel the touch of Jesus. I won't know what to do. Somebody's going to be looking at my back. I have no idea what to do. And then you just kind of say, you know what? It'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. It'll be just be fine. Maybe they've got needs. <laughs> Maybe they need to be there. Maybe that's where they feel comfortable. And for a few moments, you're uncomfortable. For a few moments, you're in the wrong place, and then all of a sudden, you realize that even if you don't get exactly what you want, when you want it, whatever it is, that life will probably be, <laughs> what? Oh, it probably will be, okay. You know, when we read those Philippians verses, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but the interest of others. That really was written about Jesus. It was really written about Jesus in the book of Philippians. You can go and read it there. It was really written about the story about how Jesus emptied himself. He made himself, the Bible says, of no reputation. He didn't demand his own way and he left the splendor of God the Father and came to earth and died on a cross to say, would you join me in this great destiny of love? So Jesus really is our example. Jesus is the one who's gone before, who's showed us, who's taught us, who's, who's explained the way. So how does this deal with anxiety? Well, here's a phrase I'll, I'll put on the board for you up, up top. It says this. Anxiety lives in the getting. And peace lives in the giving. Anxiety lives when you and I live and, and, and define our lives by the created order around us. What it gives us, what it doesn't give us, what I need, what I don't need. 
And yet Jesus says, because the Bible is always backwards, right? You know that? The first or last, and the last shall be first. He who is the greatest shall be the least. He who is the least shall be the greatest. And then he says this. Listen, if you want to learn to live a life of peace, live a life of giving rather than getting. So I want to give you an invitation today. I I want to throw this out to you, and I want to throw the invitation out this way. I'm going to invite you to move out of the shallow end of life where you're wading around up to your knees trying to get out of life what you can get out of it, trying to get people to give you what you think you deserve, and I want you to jump into the, sh- into the deep end, the deep end of love. When you jump in, if you don't swim, you're drowning. Trust me, you'll learn to swim in love if you start it. I asked JP to share a song from a great movie called A Star is Born. The invitation in the relationship was to to move from the shallow end of a relationship, the relationship of getting, to the deep end of a relationship of giving. See how this speaks to you. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Are you begging for your longing for? I'm falling. And in the good times I find myself longing for change. And in the bad times I fear myself Tell me something, boy Aren't you tired of trying to fill their void? Or do you need more? Keeping it so hardcore I'm falling In all the good times I find myself longing For change And in the bad times I feel myself
Thank you, church. I'm going to invite you to move out of the shallow ground today into the love of Jesus. You may be seated. I'd love it if you join me in communion together and really understanding that God in Christ Jesus went deep into love for you and me. There's a line in that song that uh, Melinda and JP song that saying that I found very interesting. It says, uh, we're moving out of the shallow ground. They can't hurt us now. Man, when you and I stay shallow, we get hurt all the time. And when we think we're protecting ourselves and we don't want to go deep, we want to go deep spiritually, we don't want to go deep emotionally, we stay shallow is where we get hurt. Even though we're afraid of the deep end and what might be there, the love of God always causes us to live and to survive. I'd love it if you would join me today, regardless of your faith tradition. If you know Jesus, then you're more than welcome to join us. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks and he said, here, this is my body broken for you. Please eat together. In this little cup is grape juice. As we hold this cup in our hand and we think about the price that Jesus paid to go deep, it cost him his very self. I'd be untruthful today if I said to you that to go deep it will cost you yourself as well. It'll cost you all those behaviors and actions that you and I do to try to protect ourselves. Instead, we need to allow Christ to be our protector, our emotional protector, our spiritual protector, that we truly can be in the deep end, the deep end of love that will literally change our lives and the world around us. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the New Testament signed in my blood. Drink ye all of it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will.